Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of Enlightenment Today. I'm Jason. Today we're going to speak about what it means to stink of Zen. Now to stink of Zen is an idea in Zen Buddhism. So what it means is, someone who stinks of Zen is too pious, too righteous, essentially a goody two-shoes. You know, we all know these sort of characters. Um, these are the people who would not even kill an ant. They would never swear. And we have a lot of examples in the modern day of these people. And you know, we can use uh, health as an example, where we have veganism, vegetarianism, people who follow a paleo diet or people who follow primal. Um, and most of these people associate to the group and they begin to think that their method is the right way and so forth and so on, which is a problem with most people. Um, to which, you know, what happens when we associate to groups, we often think that's the way and everything else is wrong, which in itself is wrong. Um, but to think of Zen, if we look at, say, a vegan, for example, you know, I love, I love vegan people, I've been vegan myself, but there is a lot of vegan people out there who will become self-righteous and they will um, make empty claims that everybody's a murderer if they eat meat or drink milk or eat eggs and so forth and so on. And this is just them trying to be too pious, too righteous, too good. And it kind of stinks. It's on the nose a little bit. Not just vegans, but anyone. Anyone who is like that. You know, you see this a lot in politics where we have people who are trying to be uh, politically correct all the time. And you can tell that they're not genuine. You can, you can smell the, the stink of Zen about them. And when someone stinks of Zen, they often become a know-it-all. They think they know everything when they stink of Zen. They, they say, oh, that's wrong because this is the way it is. Oh, your, your diet is wrong because this is what's good for everybody else. And this is when you start, to, you start to smell the stench that they're not really being themselves, they're not being genuine, which is an important aspect of Eastern philosophy. And they've, um, they're out of sync with the seeker's mind. You know, when we are in sync with the seeker's mind, we, we learn from a humble place, we act, we don't know everything. We, that's where we act from, because we don't know everything. And this is why Gandhi once said, learn as if you're never gonna die. Because he understood that the seeker's mind is where it is. You know, if you come to life with this mind as a student and never pretend to be a guru, then your life will have a certain path, a certain course, and you will begin to emanate uh, a genuine, your genuine character without being arrogant and believing that you're enlightened, enlightened and so forth and so on. Um, so this is what it sort of means to be, to, to stink of Zen. Now, because a lot of us, are in, in we, when we come across Eastern philosophy and, and these sort of traditions, older traditions, even Western religions and so forth and so on, we think it has to do with being super good and we've got to be really good and never swear and this and that. Um, but in the East, they have a lot of examples of how this is all nonsense and how it's about discovering your genuine character, about being humble and about listening to people, opening up to people so that you can have a beautiful relationship with people and the world around us. Recently, I saw uh, there was an image. This is to articulate what it means to not stink of Zen. But I, I saw an image of a monk uh, crossing a road and the monk was crossing the road and there was a driver, the monk was crossing the road on a zebra crossing and the driver is beeping the horn at the monk. This is a Buddhist monk and the Buddhist monk is like, like this. And, and obviously a lot of the comments on this image were, ah, he's reacted, he's reacted. You know, and, and they have a fair case to say that, you know, he's reacted, okay, fair enough. 
But there was one comment which was very observant, very clever, and, and understands the essence of what we are talking about, not to stink of Zen. And this, this individual said, no, no, you guys have all got it wrong. He's just exhibiting the middle way. So the middle way, as you see, the middle finger. Now what he means by that is that he was being Zen. He was fully present in, in that moment. And he wasn't off in the past or the future. He was completely present and he exhibited his own naturalness in that moment. And now remember, this is a key concept in all, in all of, especially Chinese philosophy, Taoist philosophy, is the idea of zitran, of naturalness, of being spontaneously of itself, which is what nature is, and we are nature. And so the point of this is, the monk was expressing uh, his, his nature in that moment, spontaneously of itself, without thinking. He didn't have to think about it. That's the point. And this is not stinking of Zen. He wasn't, the, the doctor never came back to him and said, don't react, don't react, don't react. He just went, that's the way it is. You know, and he went off happily. He, did, he wasn't disturbed about it. That's the, the effortless mind. That's the mind of wei, of non-force, non-doing, uh, and effortless action. So he was in harmony with intelligent spontaneity, the power of spontaneity, which is what we are essentially trying to come back to because that is our naturalness. That is how nature expresses itself, and we are nature. So, as I said before, the problem with most people, especially with people who, who encounter religion, spirituality, or even Eastern wisdom, is everyone is trying to be angels rather than demons. But as we see with, that, with the monk, the depiction of the monk, is that he had no sort of concept of angels and demons. He just expressed himself in that moment without having to think about it. And this is the point of Zen. This is what Zen actually is, is to have a mind of no deliberation, to act spontaneously without having to think about it. So the problem is when we, when we start to be angels and demons, what we, do, what we are doing is we are trying to transplant our uh, moral imperative into spirituality. And and, that, and we actually can't do that because spirituality is not about transplanting your moral imperative into it. Spirituality is about getting your hands dirty. It's about getting your knees dirty. It's about getting into the dirt, the grit of your own existence, the yucky, the ugly side of yourself. It's not about being excessively nice, which is what a lot of people believe. It's not about becoming an angel, becoming a, a Jesus Christ figure. It's not about any of this. Now there are a lot of reasons why, why we have become like this, and, and it's embedded in a lot in most of us around the world. But what we need to ask ourselves is, if we are trying to act like an angel or a goody two-shoes, who are we trying to appease? What are we trying to appease by this? Why are we not acting naturally, which is the, the birth of charisma, which is the birth of being authentic? Why are we not acting like that? Because that is how the harmony of the universe expresses itself. It doesn't express itself with please something, somebody, or trying to be an angel um, without realizing that you will slip up because you are human. Now, when I say that we're trying to appease somebody, this, this comes from the perspective of the monarchical view of the universe. This is why we have this perspective of trying to be an angel and trying to live up to expectations that you can never live up to. Um, and the monarchical view of the universe is, is essentially uh, a political analogy. 
Now, now, to understand the monarchical view, we need to understand one of the greatest philosophical eras um, throughout history, which was from 571 to 479 BCE, when some of the greatest sages and minds of existence e ever lived. This was the time of Lao Tzu in China, Confucius in China, Gautama the Buddha in India, and Pythagoras in Greece. Now, these, these four, essentially at that time, had a general, somewhat similar view of the universe and the human being in relation to the universe and nature and so forth and so on. Different ways of expressing it, but they never thought that there was an element of separation between us and the universe and so forth and so on. There was always a focus on connectivity. Um, but in that time, out of nowhere, came Darius I coming out of Persia. Now why this is significant to the monarchical view is because Darius I um, coming out of Persia brought to the table the idea of the king of kings tradition. Okay, So the king of kings tradition is that there is an all governing ruler um, which began the birth of the monarchical view of the universe where God is a king and we are the subjects to, to this king. Sigmund Freud, th Sigmund Freud thinks that this is actually older. He thinks the King of Kings tradition, or the monarchical view, I should say, began at the time of with Akhenaten in Egypt. But nevertheless, we, the evidence is pointing to Darius I, and Darius I began this King of Kings tradition, which is the God as a ruler or Lord of everything else which is completely different to Eastern philosophy. We only have to read the Tao Te Ching, where the Tao Te Ching says, the Tao loves and nourishes all, but does not lord it over them. Meaning that the universe keeps balance without dissecting between what is good or bad. And we are all the children of the cosmos. We're as part of it, not separate from it. But the monarchical view, what this does, is it disconnects us from the God or the universe, call it whatever you will, from nature. Um, and then the, this, the idea of separation is born. So we are separate from God, the universe, and man is separate from nature. Humans are separate from each other. We are separate from animals and so forth and so on. We can go down the line. And this is where it all started because of the monarchical view of the universe. So then from there, we are all trying to be angels. And the problem is, is we can't live up to these so-called laws of God or these commandments of God that have been handed down. <clears throat> we can't live up to them because why? We are fundamentally human. We are not angels or demons, even though we may express these archetypal traits. Now, the problem with this monarchical view is it, it was embedded into a lot of religions, especially Western religions, not, not so much Eastern religions. Um, and that's why in Christianity you see the Jesus Christ figure become someone who is inhumanely good, inhumanely good, like almost like not even a human being. Like Jesus would never even um, say a word if he stubbed his toe. He would never say a swear word. You know, things like this. It became inhumanely good because of this monarchical view. So we, everyone is trying to live up to this depiction of Jesus as an in, inhumanely good figure when this is also a result of um, human beings taking 
sacred texts literally instead of metaphorically and myth mythologically. And we are at the time and age where we have an increased intelligence where we know that a lot of these stories are really metaphorical for the human beings and are not literal. And I mean that with, with Jesus Christ because you know a lot of Christians will uh, get so furious if you mention this. But if you, if you say if you say this to a Buddhist, they're not really hung up if Gautama the Buddha never really existed. It's not really a hung up, hang up. What the, what the importance is, is the teachings, is the philosophy, is the way, the guide to, to guide us through our own lives. It's a metaphor for our own life, all of these stories, as Joseph Campbell uh, cleverly put in The Hero's Journey. And this is the, the, the point is, we are not here to be inhumanely good. Um, you know, when we see these stories, um, if we look at the story of Christ, it's, he never puts a foot wrong. You know, everything is, everything is perfect. And this is something that we, you know, none of us can live up to really, because in the end, we are human beings. And Jesus Christ is a, is a mythological character. So the problem here is, is that when we start to be in, inhumanely good, when we start to um, pretend that we are angel-like, we become too fake and too pious, rather than being real and genuine. This is the problem. This is why if you are around um, sometimes religious people or spiritual people um, and they have this particular temperament to be angel-like, then you, you can sense a, they're not being genuine and not being authentic. This even happens with uh, gurus in India, where if you get a guru by themselves and if you have a discussion with the guru, he's very human, very a, a real character. You know, He is the fruit of a lot of his spiritual work. But then once his disciples start to congregate around him and you continue to talk, he starts to move his shoulders and he puts on all of this, this whole new persona because he's trying to live up to an image that we cannot live up to. He cannot live up to or she cannot live up to. So instead of being righteous and good, we need just to become humble and real and genuine. This is the point. This is the point of not of of trying not to think of Zen. So we have to th we have to also remember that you know because of the monarchical view we have these concepts that there are fundamental good and bad. There are goods and bads in the world that are fundamentally there. But we are intelligent enough now to know that good and bad themselves are essentially subjective. They're not really fundamental. They're not. There is not an innate good and an innate bad of the society and so forth and so on because everyone's point of view is different. So the idea of trying to be good all the time and angel-like is delusional. You know, what we are really after is authenticity. You know, if we realize that good and bad are subjective, what we are after is authenticity. So in saying that, we are naturally good when we recognize our natural ability to act spontaneously without having to think about it, okay? So what that means is being mindful and present, ready to act, is our nature minus the social, cultural, and religious idea of good and bad. So acting spontaneously without having to think what is good, what is bad. Now this idea is that we are naturally good. We only become bad when we, when we confuse the social, cultural, and religious laws with how we should be, which causes um, psychological imbalances, which causes us to think in unnatural ways, out of sync with reality. And we stop acting spontaneously. We stop acting fresh, authentic, <clears throat> which brings a lot of beauty and color to the world. 
you know, in, in conversation, when you're in conversation with somebody, it's beautiful when you begin to act spontaneously with no agenda. There's no idea of how you should act in this conversation. This is why most people love their friends, because they can just be themselves around their friends. But when they put themselves in a different environment or amongst people who are somewhat strangers, as the guru analogy I used, people start to act differently. It's like a hypnotherapist told me once that, you know, we have actually, uh, in a minimal, we have 15 egoic personalities because we, we have this erroneous tendency to try and be somebody different with different people all the time. And the idea of not stinking of Zen is to get rid of that and just be yourself, be genuine, be authentic, be humble to reality and keep that seeker's mind all, at all times. So the idea of the, the power of spontaneity and acting this way is often depicted in the East and, and the way not to stink of Zen, Zen masters would always try and teach about, you know, don't try and be too pious, don't try and be too ingenuine, um, you know, be real, be real and, and be humble. Um, and there's a great story to exhibit this power. Um, and it's a, it's a story in, in, in Japan, in Zen, and there was a Zen master in Japan. He was the main Zen master of, of a larger monastery. And there was a group of samurais going through Japan, just killing and, and doing their thing with their samurai swords and you know, so forth and so on. And so they knew that the samurais were coming. So everyone sort of in the monastery, other Zen masters and disciples hid in the bushes while the main Zen master of the monastery peacefully greeted the the samurais at the, at the gate. You know, he welcomed them. And the samurai, he didn't want any of it and he, and he just stabbed him straight through the gut and comes out the back. And then the Zen master's like, oh, like a big scream, like loud as you could hear. And he's dead, he's dead. Anyway, after the experience that one of the disciples with the, another Zen master that was hiding in the bushes was saying, ah, do you see? Even though he was our leader, he, he, didn't, he didn't understand Zen, he, he reacted. And then the, the other Zen master was like, completely wrong. He was being perfectly spontaneous and in harmony with the way nature is, and he expressed it in his fullest. He didn't have a problem about it. The pain was something he experienced spontaneously, and he just exp and he expressed it. He expressed Zen fully, being Zen fully. And this is the this is again corresponds to the the other monk earlier that I talked about giving the finger. He had no problem with it. And this is the problem with a lot of people who come across spirituality in general, because people think that we are supposed to be like a stone Buddha, never move, never react to life, never have any fun. I'm gonna just meditate forever. And that's all nonsense. We know that's all rubbish because we are essentially human. So what the Zen other Zen master was trying to tell the, the disciple is, you still don't understand what it is to be Zen. You don't understand it. Because a master is not at odds with their own humanity. That's the idea. They're not at odds with their own humanity. And what we are often doing is we are wrestling with our own humanity. We are trying to be angels or demons without realizing our own humanity, our own humility, and this is essentially who we are. Now this doesn't mean that you lose your shit in every situation. It doesn't mean you get angry and you think, I'm just acting spontaneously. That's to miss the point. That's to miss the point completely. That's not naturalness. That's more, that's more to do with arrogance. 
what it means is about not being at odds with your own humanity. If there is a situation where it's better to be quiet, you'll be quiet. If there's a situation that you get stabbed by a sword, which I don't wish upon you, we are all human and being stabbed by a sword is, is going to hurt. You can sit there as a stone Buddha as much as you want, but you will bleed to death. So this is the point. You are not at odds with your own humanity. And when you stink of Zen is when you are at odds with your own humanity. You're trying to be too cool for school, essentially. So what's the antidote to this? What's the opposite of, of stinking of Zen, having that stench? It's the perfection of Zen. Now, the, perfe the perfection of Zen is to be perfectly, radically, and simply human. And that's it. Perfectly and radically and simply human. Let that sink in. That means we are not looking for enlightenment in the future. We're not, going, we're not having these vain ideas that we're going to levitate on a cloud. All of this is rubbish. The idea in the East is when you be perfectly and radically and simply human, you've got it. You've realized your own authenticity. You are not odds with your, at odds with your own humanity. And you have embraced the beauty and the tragedy of what it is to be human. Alan Watts once says to depict this is the difference of the adept in Zen from the ordinary run of men is that the latter are in one way or another at odds with their own humanity and are attempting to be angels or demons. So he's saying that we are either at odds with our own humanity and are trying to be these angels or demons, um, which is to essentially miss the point. So what this means is we are not born in the human world until we have accepted our humanity, really. So this is the real human birth, not to be confused with the actual physical event. Okay. So that's the real human birth of not becoming at odds with your own humanity, getting rid of, the, rid of the stench of Zen and coming back to reality and being real, being genuine, but not being arrogant as well. You're still working on yourself. You're not pretending to be enlightened. You're not doing any new age fallacies like this. You're not attempting any of those. You are embracing your own humanity, the beauty of it. So. To not stink of Zen, we have to all get off our imaginary cloud that we think we know anything about the world, about ourselves, about other people. And we have to take the imaginary halo off. Stop trying to pretend, pretending to be like a Jesus Christ figure and embrace our own humanness. To understand really what the enlightenment of the East and a sage or any mystic in general is. Jump off the cloud, take the halo off and embrace what it is to be in reality as you are with everything else in unison. But in saying that, to be human is, is really, really radical. As Ikku once said, Zen Master Ikku, we eat, excrete, sleep, and get up. This is our world. All we have to do after that is to die. Thank you for watching today.